0: and annually we honor our veterans and especially those who have given their lives for the sake of our nation. We remember that they were willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice in order that we might enjoy freedom. A few weeks ago when a couple of us were visiting briefly in Washington, DC, uh, I visited the Vietnam Memorial for the first time. It's a very simple memorial architecturally And I suppose one has to be an appreciator of modern art to really understand what the memorial is saying. I'm not such an appreciator. But it is a moving experience nonetheless to go there and see these tens of thousands of names etched in marble. Two men, two young men that I went to high school with are represented there. I looked up their names and I must confess that I was moved to tears unexpectedly as I looked down the the column in the row where their name was located and touched it and remembered them in their youth and that they were cut off so quickly. We need to thank God for the, the liberty that we enjoy and remember that there are those who have paid dearly so that we might enjoy it. And let us guard it in our own day in the way that we must so that we have a legacy to pass on to our own children and grandchildren. As a young boy on this weekend, we would visit the graves of those in our family who had died and on Memorial Day most often would go to our local cemetery there in Kansas. My father was buried there and his grave, like a number of others, had a flag raised over it. The ZFW and many cemeteries places a marker there on Memorial Day weekend, and a flag is put there for those who served our nation. I remember the, uh, the fun it was to see relatives on Decoration Day, as we called it. And we would walk around the cemetery and sometimes there would be a a family get-together afterwards but as we walked around the cemetery you would hear people talk about this one and that one who had passed before and we would read their names and hear stories about them and note how long they lived or how short they lived. Collecting epitaphs from cemeteries has been a hobby of mine for a number of years although I haven't done it very much of late. I was walking through that same cemetery one time when I was in my twenties and noted a grave in the older part of the cemetery of a man who died in 1878. And there beneath the name and the date was some sort of paragraph and so I had to get down and read it and wipe away the moss and it looked very hard to see what it said and here's what it said my friend as you pass by as you are now so once was i as i am now soon you must be so prepare yourself to follow me pretty significant statement isn't it i read about another one from uh, arizona highways Louis Schaefer found this on the tombstone of a horse thief in Arizona. It said he found a rope and picked it up and with it walked away. It happened that to the other end a horse was hit, they say. They took the rope and tied it up into a hickory limb. It happened that the other end was somehow hitched to him. <laughs> You can find all kinds of epitaphs. I remember one time being in a cemetery in Blanchester, Ohio. You know, you can go to a cemetery and be left alone. Did you know that? If you want to meditate and just get away, go to a cemetery. Nobody will bother you there. They think only crazies hang out in cemeteries. They'll leave you, they give you plenty of distance. And I was preaching in Blanchester in a church and I wanted to go and to think a while before I preached, which is often a good idea. And so I went to the cemetery and walked around reading some epitaphs. And there was one that was on a gravestone that was brand new. And this is unusual because most people don't go to that expense these days. And what it said on this beautiful marble tombstone was this. It must have been a Christian because it said, an inn, I-N-N, an inn for a weary traveler on his way to the New Jerusalem. I thought, wow, that says a lot, doesn't it? In fact, the word in is what the word cemetery really means in the Greek language. The Greek word for in is where we get our word for cemetery. That person had to grasp the meaning of what cemetery, what a grave is. An in for a weary traveler on his way to the New Jerusalem. Well, this morning as we read through a list of names, I would like for us to think of these people as ones who actually lived on the earth. People who had a mother and father just like you and me, and some of them had wives and children, and they're dead. We're going to turn to Colossians chapter 4, and as we read these names, I want you to see what is said about them, because as we work our way through the list in the message, we're going to create an epitaph for each one of these individuals. Beginning in verse 7 of Colossians 4 As to all my affairs Tychicus our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord will bring you information writes Paul for I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here, that is, in Rome, where Paul was under house arrest. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice, These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and also Nympha, and the church that is in her house. And when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. For you and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write these, this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. And so we have the names of a number of individuals, including that of the apostle Paul. What I observe here is that those who faithfully serve God's will and advance Christ's cause will be forever remembered. I hope that you and I will determine this morning that we, in our hearts, will be men and women worthy of distinction, such as most of the people on this list. As we walk along this morning through this cemetery of names the first one that we come to is this man Tychicus this man joined Paul's party as he headed back toward Jerusalem at the end of his third journey Acts 20 verse 4 about four years had passed since that time Tychicus was a loyal and trustworthy assistant of the apostle Paul there are three terms that are used of this brother. He is called a beloved brother. In other words, Paul looks upon him as one who is in God's family with him and one who is deeply appreciated. He is not only a brother in Christ, he is a beloved brother. And he calls him a faithful servant. The word servant here means deacon, it's an It's one who is willing to serve in ordinary ways. Tychicus was probably not an official deacon of the church, but in his mindset, in his heart, he was one who served. He was not prominent, but he was faithful. And so Paul calls him faithful servant and then fellow bond servant. Here, another word, the word servant here means slave. And so Paul sees this man as joined with him in the chains of slavery to Jesus Christ. The name Tychicus means fortunate. He was a man fortunate in that he came to know Christ and was fortunate in that he was able to serve with the greatest apostle of this age, Paul. But Paul also looked upon himself as fortunate for having an associate like Tychicus. Tychicus was going to deliver this letter that Paul was writing to the church in Colossae. I believe that the epitaph that we might write upon his tombstone is this. Here lies a man you could count on. And I don't know of an epitaph my father friends, that would be any more meaningful than that, especially in the day in which you and I live. If you can come to the end of your life and look back upon it and find two hands full of people that you could count on in life, you indeed are a fortunate person. Tychicus, was that kind of man here lies a man you could count on the second man his name is Onesimus Onesimus also delivered this letter along with Tychicus but under different circumstances because Onesimus was going back home you see, one of the leaders in the church in Colossae was a man named Philemon. Paul had led Philemon to Christ. He was a wealthy man, and he owned slaves. Onesimus had been one of them. But apparently he had stolen from his master and had run. He knew that the punishment could well be execution, but nonetheless... He bolted. And somehow in the providence of God, Onesimus met Paul in Rome. We don't know how this happened. But as Onesimus found Paul, Christ found Onesimus. And this thieving runaway slave became a believer. Now the Apostle Paul is sending Onesimus back home to his master. Now, in his back pocket, if robes in those days had back pockets, there was also a letter to Philemon, which is included in the New Testament, in which he is told to receive Onesimus as a brother in Christ. And, and Paul says, and by the way, if he still owes you anything, uh, put that on my account. I'll repay it to you on his behalf. The apostle calls this new convert a faithful and beloved brother. Here is a man who is transformed by the power of the gospel. John MacArthur makes this statement, Christ makes sure that a man with a past has a past that is past. I like that. Onesimus had a past, but it was past. Jesus Christ is in the business of transforming lives. And he can take a man even like Onesimus and turn him around to make him a new creature in Christ. And when he does, when he does, you and I who are in the family of God need to receive those people, just as Philemon was told to receive this runaway slave. By the way, there's some indication in church history, not in the scriptures, but in church history, that Onesimus, became the bishop of the church in Ephesus later in his life. Quite a significant comeback, wouldn't you say? I would put on his grave this epitaph. Onesimus, a slave of two masters. And then we come to Aristarchus. Aristarchus was a native of Thessalonica, according to Acts 20, verse 4. He had been with Paul in Ephesus, Acts 19, verse 29, where he had been seized by the mob that was looking for Paul. He was released, and then later went with Paul to Jerusalem, and eventually accompanied Paul in his chains on his voyage to Rome according to Acts 27, verse 2. Now notice what the apostle calls him, my fellow prisoner. I don't believe that that means that Aristarchus had been placed under arrest. It could be, but I don't think it does. I believe what Paul is saying about this man is that he had cared so deeply for Paul that he spent all of his time with him and gave him his loyal service And so Paul sees him as though he were also a prisoner. Here is a man who is so loyal to the one that he followed that he voluntarily relinquished his right to liberty for the sake of serving. I wonder if we, like Aristarchus, are willing to voluntarily give up our rights in order that we might serve others. As we observe the tombstone of Aristarchus, let's put this epitaph on it. He was a prisoner of love. Because it was his love for the Apostle Paul and for the Lord Jesus Christ that caused him to be willing to give up his liberty to serve others. He was a prisoner of love. Next we come to a man named Mark. We know this man. He was the cousin of Barnabas and the son of a wealthy and renowned woman in Jerusalem who deserted Paul and his cousin Barnabas during their first missionary journey, Acts thirteen thirteen. He had gone part way with them, and then it says that in Pamphylia he turned around and went back to Jerusalem and did not go to the work of the journey. Paul was devastated by this and to some degree held it against Mark for a period of time. It is thought that probably Mark was a good friend later, at least, of the Apostle Peter. and may have gotten some of his information for the gospel he wrote, named Mark, from Peter. Peter may have had the influence in Mark's life that turned him around. By the way, the contention between Paul and Barnabas over Mark was so great that the two of them split. Here they had been fast companions a part of the same missionary team, but over the issue of Mark, they split because Barnabas said, I want to take Mark again, and Paul said, never. And so they went separate directions. But 12 years have passed. And now Mark has been reclaimed. He's a different man than he was before. Mark is a man who might have given up in embarrassment, and disgrace. After all, when the top guy in the church of the Lord is ashamed of you, where do you go? When the Apostle Paul is not willing to trust you again, you feel disgraced. But he was not a man who was held down by his own failures. He proved himself in that by God's grace, he made a comeback. And near the end of Paul's life, Paul says regarding him, uh, as he writes to Timothy, Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me and for the service. God had met Mark at the point of his need in some way that we don't know about. It's not written about. But God had met Mark there. Mark had responded and had been reclaimed. I think as we pass the gravestone of Mark, and by the way, notice what it says here, about whom you received instructions, colon, these were the instructions to the Colossians regarding Mark. If he comes to you, welcome him. What does that suggest to you? Why were those instructions needed twelve years later? There were some believers not willing to allow this man's past to be passed. They held it against him and apparently when he went from place to place there were those who would not welcome him because of his reputation. But Paul makes it clear he is a man to be embraced. What I would like to see in his epitaph is this, a man with courage to turn failure into success. There are some people who don't have that kind of courage. They mope and they wallow in their failure for the rest of their lives. They do not take the grace that God gives to them at the point of their need, and the result is they waste the years to come because of past failure. If somehow today you're one of those people who, like Mark, somewhere along the way has blown it, Then acknowledge the failure. Confess it to God. Get right with God. Get as right with others as you can. Mark testifies that apparently some you can't get right with. They won't let you. But go on. For God's sake and for your sake, go on. And have the courage to make success out of that failure in your past. And then there is Jesus. Jesus Justice. There really is nothing beyond this text that is known about him, as is true also of this lady whose name is Nympha in verse 15. So we can say a lot about either one of them, but we can say a little bit about Jesus. How would you like to bear that name? Now, understand that Jesus was not an uncommon name. Jesus is the Greek spelling of the Hebrew name Yeshua, or Joshua. And there were lots of Jews by that name. That was a common name. When the angel said, you shall call his name Yeshua, Joshua, that was not a brand new name, an unusual name. It was a particular name and it's applied particularly wonderfully in the lord jesus christ but it was a common name and so here is a man whose name was joshua or greek jesus but among the followers of the lord jesus you can imagine bearing this name how would you like to live up to that name how well did he do was he a man of integrity well, apparently so, because his name, Justice, means righteous. Which indicates to us that he lived so as to honor the name he bore. Say, you bear the name Christian. Which means little Christ or follower of Christ. Are you living so as to honor that name? Epiphas. Epiphus was probably the founding pastor of the church in Colossae. Remember, Paul had never been there. Epaphos had gone there, had led people to Christ, and founded the church, most likely. It was he who probably brought the word to Paul about the problems of the heresy that was afflicting the church in Colossae. He is described here as one who knew deep concern or literally great pain in his life. Many people do not understand the great pain that pastoral ministry brings. The Apostle Paul In one place in the new testament lists all of the sufferings that he had endured the shipwrecks the beatings etc 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 and then he said and besides all of this the care of the churches paul was a pastor's pastor as an apostle epiphas knew the load that is borne by those who are shepherds of god's people And Paul says he is a man who has known great pain. And as a pastor, he was one who had labored in prayer. He agonized for the souls of his people. He prayed, says the apostle, that they, the Colossians, might be mature and wise in their spiritual insight. I remember as a young pastor in my late 20s going to a cemetery. I had succeeded a great man, who had succeeded, likewise, a great man. The man who was pastor second generation before me, which was only, I suppose, at that point ten years before me, was a man named Dr. D.B. East. Dr. Eastep had pastored Calvary Baptist Church for 35 years. It had grown from a handful of people to a, a church of eight or 900, which in the late 1950s was a huge church in America, a huge evangelical church. Now he had his strengths and he had his weaknesses. But he was a man who bore great pain for the people he loved. And at 60 or 63 years of age died suddenly of a coronary undoubtedly related in part to the stress of the ministry of the Calvary Baptist Church and having become the pastor of that church I decided to go find his grave I know it's a little weird but that's alright and so I, I knew which cemetery it was, I had buried people there and so I asked one of his uh, sister-in-law, sisters-in-law who had was still in our church, what area it was in, and went out there and walked around until I found it. It's a very simple little gravestone. There would be East Steps with the years of his life on it. And below that, all it said was, Pastor of Calvary Baptist Church. And I stood there because that was my title. And I stood there a long time. And on subsequent occasions, I also stood there. And I thought about this faithful man who had borne the burden of the ministry of that church. And I never left there without recommitting myself to the ministry that God has called me to. Dr. E. and I and every pastor we follow in the steps of a man like Ephesus. And I would put over his grave on his epitaph these words he was a praying shepherd. And then we come to Luke and Paul himself gives us what I think is the fitting epitaph, the beloved physician. Paul was a man who experienced a lot of bodily weakness. He was not a robust individual. In fact, he had a lot of illness in his first missionary journey. As he started his second journey, God provided a doctor to join his team. He picked him up in Troas, apparently, because Luke who wrote the book of Acts, as well as the gospel bearing his name, in Acts 16.10, begins to use we when he describes Paul's party. Up to that point, it's they and he. And then he says we, which is his signal as the writer, historian, that now I'm with them. And from then on, he largely traveled with Paul. They became fast friends. Not all who served Jesus Christ are ministry professionals. Here is another kind of professional, a doctor who dedicated his life to God's work and used his skills in a particular way. And of course, he was also a capable historian. And I tell you, I have met other beloved physicians in my life, and so have you. Men and women who love God and who are using their professional skills to serve Jesus Christ in special ways and then there is this next grave it is Demas he's called a fellow worker by Paul in Philemon 24 but ultimately he was a man who deserted Paul 2 Timothy 4.10 having loved this present world sad beyond words is the situation when a man or a woman deserts the will of God and follows the enticements of the world. What a tragic trade for life Demas made. And so we stand before this man's grave and shed a tear as we read his epitaph. A man who failed his potential. Don't be that kind of person. There's Archippus. Archippus was not with Paul. He was in Colossae, apparently, as was Nympha. As I think of these two individuals, I think of the fact that they both needed some greeting from Paul and some exhortation. They had a ministry from God. And I think of an epitaph here that speaks directly to the reader, like the one I quoted from the tombstone in Kansas. My friend, as you pass by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, soon you must be. Prepare yourself to follow me. Some person wrote another little statement to go with that, and it says, To follow you I'll not consent until I know which way you went. (laughs) Which is a wise response. Sometimes epitaphs speak directly to the reader, and I think this is one of them. I see on the epitaph of Archippus these words. He was like you, the reader. He was a man who had a ministry, and to him and to us, the Apostle Paul says, take heed to fulfill the ministry that God has given you. See your life as an opportunity while you have it, and use it to the full. What a privilege to be thought of, as was this man, as a trusted and valued partner in battle. Paul calls him in Philemon a fellow soldier. By the way, Archippus may well have been the son of Philemon, or yes, the son of Philemon, and therefore was very close to the Apostle Paul. And Paul's name is the last name. I would not pretend to be able to give an epitaph for Paul except that he gave one to himself, which I will simply put on the gravestone as we look at it. And it says, he fought the good fight. He finished his course. He kept his faith. And so we have the names of ten or eleven individuals, most of whom are highly honored and forever remembered as those who served God's cause and advanced Christ's will in their generation. By the way, more than half of the New Testament was authored by three of the people on this list. The church grew and was established because of the commitment of men and women like this. And dear people, the church of Jesus Christ today will only grow and be established as we who are alive in our generation commit ourselves as did they to faithful service it's the kind of people that we need to be in our generation and I want to close with part of a poem written by Robertson McQuilkin who I think bears the title Chancellor now at uh, the Columbia Bible College although it has a new name that I can't give to you at the moment. He wrote this poem in 1981 as he was growing older, and his prayer in the midst of a lot of friends who failed God was this. Let me get home before dark. Listen to his thoughts as we close. An older man writing this now. It's sundown, Lord. The shadows of my life stretch back into the dimness of the years long spent. I fear not death, for that grim foe betrays himself at last, thrusting me forever into life, life with you, unsoiled and free. But I do fear. I fear The dark specter may come too soon Or do I mean too late? That I should end before I finish Or finish, but not well That I should stain your honor Shame your name Grieve your loving heart Few, they tell me, finish well Lord, let me get home before dark. The darkness of a spirit grown mean and small. Fruit shriveled on the vine, bitter to the taste of my companions, burdened to be borne by those brave few who love me still. No, Lord, let the fruit grow lush and sweet, a joy to all who taste. Spirit sign of God at work, stronger, fuller, brighter to the end. Lord, let me get home before dark. The darkness of tattered gifts, rust-locked, half-spent or ill-spent, a life that was once used of God, now set aside. Grief for glories gone or fretting for a task God never gave. Mourning in the hollow chambers of memory. Gazing on the faded banners of victories long gone. Can I not run well unto the end? Lord, get me home before God. Let's pray. You know, it would be a good exercise for all of us to sit down this afternoon and write the epitaph that we would like to have put on our own gravestones if one were to be put there. It would give us pause that we need. And I pray today that as we look at the lives of men and women who actually lived at one time on the earth but now have been long gone and we see how they lived and what their character was like and what a difference they made, that we in our generation may so determine to live out God's will for us that we will follow their example and like them be long honored. Lord, may our lives be well lived unto the end. Let none of us come short And wherein the Spirit of God has found us in this list of people we've looked at this morning, may our hearts respond. With renewed surrender and commitment to you to be all that you've called us to be, may we, like David, serve the will of God in our generations before we fall asleep in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you will get all of us home before dark. In Jesus' name, Amen.